Entrepreneur on Fire 779. And right now we're about to see the greatest generation of entrepreneurs. And the reason for that is they don't have a choice. These people are thinking, hey, I can make a difference. I can go out and I can create something for a worthy cause and I can take pride in my craft. John Lee Dumas is here with your daily dose of inspiring entrepreneurs. Welcome to Entrepreneur on Fire and prepare to ignite. Having experience these days is priceless. More than 900,000 design projects have passed through the doors at 99designs. That's expertise. Visit 99designs.com slash fire and get a $99 power pack of services free. We all know how important sleep is, but do you get enough of it? If you're ready for better nights and brighter days, visit casper.com slash fire and use promo code fire to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. Light that spark, Fire Nation. John Lee Doom is here, and I am fired up to bring you our featured guest today, Robert Hirsch. Robert, are you prepared to ignite? I am super prepared yes. to ignite, John. Robert started his first business at age 16 and hasn't looked back. His passion is helping entrepreneurs scale their business to next level growth, and he's helped more than half a dozen companies go from $5 million to $50 million in revenue. Robert, I've given Fire Nation just a little insight, so share more about you personally, then let's expound upon the biz. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, uh, John, I, I started my first business in 1990, when I was still in high school, this was my first physical store. I always had a little something going on before that. Uh, and then we grew, you know, we grew more and more, started to, became a venture-backed CEO out of San Francisco, uh, was part of taking a company public uh, before the crash of 2000. And then I, I, I was really persistent. I, I stuck with it. So I, through 2001, 2002, 2003, I ended up uh, doing four venture-backed companies for seven rounds of financing for nine years to realize it wasn't what I wanted to do. So it's been, uh, it's been quite an experience going back and forth between being an entrepreneur, raising venture capital, doing the different pieces throughout, and uh, really excited to talk to, uh, to share with your listeners today and, and any of the stories and failures that I've made that can hopefully help people avoid the bumps along the road. Well, I'm excited because, Robert, we had a nice little pre-interview chat and, you know, we have a lot of great friends in common. We have a lot of stories in common. You know, we actually come from the same part of the world, even the country, the Northeast. So, you know, we were talking about the same ski mountains that we've hit up, talking about the similar bars we used to go to in college. So, I mean, the reality is, like, we could have a really fun conversation here, but we're going to try to keep it entrepreneurial focused. That's going to be our goal, but we're going to let some cool things slip out as well. But before we get into all that, Robert... Start with a success quote and why you chose to share this particular quote. Well, this quote, I actually, it's, it's not the shortest quote. It's from Theodore Roosevelt, and it's, it's, the, it's not the critic. And I put this, um, I, I was 17 years old. I started my first little business. I was, I was in big trouble, and I thought I was going to go bankrupt for $1,000. And uh, I read this quote, and it moved me, and I put it on my mirror in my bathroom, and it's been on my mirror ever since. So wow. I'll share it with you. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails at least fails while daring greatly, 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Robert, every time I hear that quote personally, I pick out something different from it because there's so much. And from that time when you were just sharing it, it was the word worthy and worthy mm. cause. You know, a lot of people are just like thinking about the causes that they're going to do. Like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But how often do we step back, Fire Nation, and say, is this a worthy cause? And I'm always loving that quote by Earl Nightingale that success is the gradual realization of a worthy ideal. You know, not just any ideal, but a worthy ideal. Like, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, exactly. You know, I, I mean, it's one of those things that so many entrepreneurs. You know, one of the lessons that I took early on was before you play a game, you want to make sure it's a game worth winning. And, and, and so often, you know, we do it because we can, not because it really is what drives us. You know, we don't, you know, at, at the beginning, you know, when I started in, in entrepreneurship, I was motivated by, by paying my rent and by convincing my folks that I was not unemployed. Um, <laughs> it was really, really what motivates, you know, what, 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 di- you know, I didn't, I, I really wasn't motivated by, I didn't have the luxury of going to the self-actualization point of saying, you know, what is going to be worthwhile? What is going to be worthy? What is going to make the difference? And how is my contribution going to count? And, you know, and, and now there's so many resources like what you've done here with your Fire Nation, which is amazing, uh, that I wish we had those resources I, I mean, I, I look at this generation of entrepreneurs, right? And they're graduating from college and, and the jobs aren't there like they, you know, they were when, when you were coming out of school in 2002. And, you know, and it was, it was kind of shrinking a little bit, but there were still a lot of options. And right now we're about to see the greatest generation of entrepreneurs. And the reason for that is they don't have a choice. The jobs aren't there. They're not tempted by Wall Street or McKinsey or Bain. These people are thinking, hey, I can make a difference. I can go out and, and I can create something and I can create something for a worthy cause and I can take pride in my craft. Mm. I'm loving this. And you know what I love too, Robert, is that this day and age, I mean, we can get to know each other so quickly, so well, and we can get to know so many entrepreneurs so quickly and so well because of the mediums like podcasting, because of the mediums like what MIT's doing with free courses online that anybody that wants to just sit in on a course, they can learn. You can learn. It's all out there for us. I mean, you know, just like a short 10 minutes, you know, I know that you went to Babson for a semester, that you used to ski Mad River Glen, you know, the most difficult trail to get a free ticket. You know, I, I know that you're about to go on a baby moon with your with your wife which you know a lot of people might not know it's like a honeymoon guys but when you're about to have a baby you know it's like all these like really cool and neat things and it can happen in such a powerful and intimate and and cool medium and and it all comes down to story robert and you my friends have some great stories and you know this is one of you know not that that rare of a call that i'm on where i wish i had you know an endless amount of time to chat um but the reality is I would love for you to take a step back now and share a story with Fire Nation. And this story is going to be one of failure, of a time that you did struggle because we've all struggled and we can really resonate with that. So take it away. Well, there, there are a few stories that come up. And, and the, the story of failure is obviously the most important as an entrepreneur. And I'll, when I'm speaking from stage, I'll often start out by, by identifying myself as the biggest failure in the room. Because in many ways, you know, failure is what forces us to analyze our, uh, you know, our, our causality and really is the foundation for growth. When we succeed, it's because of our brilliance. But when we fail, it's really easy to attribute it to things outside of ourselves as opposed to looking inward. And so, you know, the, the, share, the story that I'd love to share with you is, is around an old venture-backed company. Now, I I completed my undergrad at the University of Colorado Boulder, and 
my uh, and, and and I went on. I, I went. I went to business school. Dropped out of there. Went to San Francisco. And this was this wasn't my first uh, venture back company, but it was my second. And I started a company called Adventure Central. And what we did was we aggregated tour operators. You know, the guys that that take you to the Great Barrier Reef or down nice. the Grand Canyon, or so Abercrombie, Kent, and Butterfield, and Backroads and Oars and. We aggregated all the tour operators, and we formed the only distributable feed of adventure travel, and then we plugged that into Orbit's Expedia and Travelocity, which, um, you know, and, 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 and the why for that was, was really our old slogan, which was come back, period, different, period. And we mean that in all three meanings. And, right. uh, and I loved it. I loved it. You know, if, 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 you know, I know you grew up skiing, and I grew up skiing, live up in the mountains of Colorado, and and if you told me when I was an undergrad at CU that I'd help aggregate the adventure travel industry, I would have given you my left arm to do it. And uh, so I, I really, I, I was so focused on it, I didn't, I didn't look up. And we went through, you know, an a, you know, we went through an A round of financing, and then we went a B round, and then a B prime, and then a C round, and 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 it was really a slog. I mean, we had a, if you think about it, we had all these tour operators say yes and load up their inventory and manage it in real time. Because these were perishable seats, meaning a, a ticket to yesterday's concert, yesterday's trip, or yesterday's hotel is not worth anything. So it was all perishable. And so it was really an inventory, uh, it was an inventory management play or a yield management play in the adventure industry. And then we had to go out and get orbits and Expedia and Travelocity and, the, and then the GDSs like Ascendant and, and uh, Ascendant and Amadeus and Worldspan. We had to get all these people to say yes in order to make a buck. And you know, and, and there was a there was a Warren Buffett quote that was, "You don't get points in business for a degree of difficulty." Mm. And this was such a difficult business. And we're sitting here, and I'm I'm convincing all the you know I'm convincing all the you know the the tour operators that they need to be online, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm talking to all the online travel agents, telling them that they need to offer experiential and adventure trip. And 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 it was interesting. There was this the one the industry association called it. And I don't know how they arrived at the number, but it was something like a $10 billion industry. Um, yet if I tried to triangulate it, meaning so that's what it was from top down. If I was trying to go bottom up and say, okay, these are the 10 biggest tri- tour operators. This guy does $100 million, This guy does $50 million, I, I could never get the numbers to match. So it was really this vapid middle market that I could never find. And in, instead of listening to that and really anchoring and adjusting, what I did was I kept plodding on because I thought entrepreneurs don't give up. And I certainly am not one of those entrepreneurs that is going to be, you know, the, the critic Persevere. on the sideline. Oh, and I wore it on my sleeve like a badge of honor. And look at the pain I've gone through. And, and the reality is, is the pain isn't what got me to where it was. And, 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 so, and, and so I really fell into this, this failure and I was going to push through it. And, and we did, and we ended, up, we ended up punting at the end and selling to another company, which, you know, there's some really good sound bites in there. But in reality, it was, it was six and a half years when I thought that work would have been three, and it was really difficult. But the key lesson, the key takeaway that I took, John, was it doesn't have to be difficult to be worthwhile. And so many times as entrepreneurs, we look for, you know, these really difficult solutions. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the Facebook of blank or the Google of blank or the Amazon of blank. And, and if I can get a million people to say yes on social media and a million people to say yes over here, then maybe I have a business. And so the way that, uh, you know, the way that we've changed uh, is right now we look for what we call low drag, which means low drag means really, high, you know, high yield and low effort. So creating an efficiency frontier of, 
of how, you know, how much, how, you know, what, what results do we get and how much effort is it? And really focusing on that. So we can figure out if we have a winner or a loser as soon as we can. And then we put all our wood behind that arrow or really focus our business efforts behind that, that winning business model instead of trying to kick the slog across the line. So, Robert, I'm going to give a couple analogies here that kind of popped up in my mind in different sure. industries. And I kind of love your feedback on this. You know, number one, you know, I look back to like my mid to late 20s and when I was looking to exercise, you know, for me, exercise just had to be grunting at the gym, you know, pushing up as much weight as I could, then being on the elliptical machine for 60 minutes and, you know, then sitting in the sauna for 30 minutes and then, you know, weighing myself at the end being like, yes, like I dropped like four pounds, not knowing that it was like all water weight and like, you know, <laughs> and then on the drive home, I, I was so starving, I couldn't stop myself from like rolling into like a McDonald's and getting three Big Macs, but, you know, saying, hey, this is protein, like I'm eating, you know, this is good stuff. And, you know, like I look at that and just saying, man, I was putting in so much effort back then, like, you know, hours of my day and, and, and really like, and I, I actually developed chronic back pain from doing elliptical and, and just like bike on a treadmill for so long, like it, without doing any other different actions for that like hour process. And, and you know, and I, and I look back and again, like just having to just eat like famous and just destroy everything afterwards. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, what did I really accomplish? And at that time, I thought I was accomplishing a lot, but I wasn't getting the results. And now seeing back, like, it's obvious, you know, why I wasn't. Because like you said so well, it doesn't have to be difficult to be worthwhile. You know, now I wake up, I go for a nice walk. It's a mile, you know, walk here in the Bay in San Diego. I get back, I, I do a nice little, like, meditation. You know, I do, like, a 25-minute little in, in-house in right here insanity workout, which is just really clean, and it gets my blood flowing. And, and you know, it's, and it's nice, and then I'm, like, ready for the day. And like, I'm not killing myself and, you know, and I do see the results now. And so, you know, I think that we can look at what you're saying here in a lot of different ways. And to give a quick other example that I'd love for you to comment on, you know, kind of a company that jumped out to me here that figured out it doesn't have to be difficult to be worthwhile is, Inst- is Instagram. You know I mean? Sure. It's a company that they knew that everybody was taking pictures. And so, hey, let's make an easy way to share it. And by the way, let's put on like 17 filters, not like 7,000. And you know what? The filters are barely different, but they look different enough to make you think that you're choosing a cool one. And then you hit, then you hit send. Like that wasn't difficult, but man, was that worthwhile. Well, it's interesting, right? That story, I, you know, for me, I inherited that story from my father. As you know, many of us inherit and What I mean by story is a belief, right? It, it has nothing to do with truth. If you believe it, it's true in my world. You know, I believe that we, we create our own reality. And, and my dad was a World War II veteran, German Jew. Um, you know, I was from a second marriage, so he was a little bit older when he was alive. And, uh, you know, he, he would always say, he would say, Robert, that doesn't have to be that easy. And or it can't be that easy. And, and the reality is it can and, uh, you know, when, when you're in flow and you're working in what I call your stupid human trick, which <laughs> is the one thing that you're better at than anybody else, if you're a video game character. You know, when I played video games, there was two buttons, you know, not 80 buttons that there are now. And there was one button, which was kind of the standard move, punch, kick. And there was the one button where you got to do your special move. And this guy does a backflip. This guy breathes fire. This guy does whatever. And, and so we all have that special move and, and the clearer that we can get on that, because that is how we really yeah. contribute the most value, the clearer that we can get on that stupid human trick and just let that fill up our day. It, it's funny. One of the things that, that I would often do in my consulting uh, to help companies scale was we'd get really clear on that stupid human trick and then I'd get rid of everything else. And then the entrepreneur would be sitting in their office going, I feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I should go, you know, I should go check on my people. And I'm like, don't check on your people. All you're going to do is mess everything up. (laughs) 
and, 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 and what you can do when, and, and when you create that space and you hold that space sacred, all of a sudden your stupid human trick starts to fill that space and you multiply the value. It's amazing the way that works. So, you know, I actually love the phrase stupid human trick, and it's the first time I've ever heard it, Robert. So from this point forward, I'm obviously going to be attributing it to you whenever I can. But, you know, I I also do love the phrase, and a lot of people use it, and I've used it on this show before, like, you know, what's your superhero qualities? Like, what's your superhero, you know, all this stuff. And and I've always liked that because it makes sense to me, and and I've used it too. But the reality is I know a lot of people shy away from that at the same time because they're like, well, you know, I don't really have a superhero. Like I'm not a superhero. Like, and you know, these are limiting beliefs and this is just the imposter syndrome settling in upon us. But to just kind of like twist a little bit and say, you know, what's your stupid human trick? Like, let's just say like, there's something stupid that you do better than everybody else. And there is, you know it, I know it. Let's just figure that out and make it happen. Like, I just love that twist. Well, it's super disarming. And of course I grew up as a Letterman guy growing up where we grew up. And, uh, so, you know, I, he always had the, uh, the stupid animal trick. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I kind of bastardized that and we used it as a consulting piece. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, when you talk about superheroes or unique abilities or you, you talk about it, you know, in, in these frames, um, you know, a lot of people will shy away from that depending where they are in their path. And the stupid human trick is just so disarming that it's really easy to answer. So, I mean, of course, John, you keyed right in on that spot. Yeah. And that's what, that's what works so well. And, if, and the clearer we get on that, you know, often people think I have five stupid human tricks. And the reality is we don't. Um, you might be better than everyone else in your company at four of those things. But that doesn't mean you should be doing it. In fact, by not understanding the, by not understanding the difference between what is the ability that, that you create the most value with and also lots of things that you're very good at, if you can't get rid of those things, for example, I'm a really good CEO only because I've done it for 24 years, but um, it's not my stupid human trick. It's not what I do best. It's what I've had to learn over 24 years. And so often that story that being a CEO was part of my stupid human trick actually just stood in the way of creating value. So, you know, one of the other key parts of the stupid human trick model is really to get rid of the things that you're very good at because you had to be, but don't give you the same amount of energy. It's what gives you energy. What would you do? What would, you know, the the old axiom of what would you do for free? I don't really buy, but what would you do if you weren't getting paid for it? That would be the stupid human trick. What gives you more energy than it takes? On the other hand, if you do something and it takes more energy than it gives, it just happens to be something that you're excellent at. Right. Well, let's kind of talk about this even a little bit more because I think this is really important. And, you know, it's going to be a really good segue into what we're talking about next, the aha moment. So, like, you at some point, Robert, have figured out your stupid human trick and, you know, you've really been able to leverage that. Can you talk to us about an epiphany that you've had, you know, maybe even around this stupid human trick or, you know, maybe it's just an aha moment that you've had where you're like, you know what, this is something that I know is going to work. You know, this is going to be, you know, my actual thing where it, it, it isn't hard to do, but it's going to, you know, but it's going to be successful at the same time. Like what was that story, Robert? And, you know, what really steps did you take to turn that epiphany moment into success? Well, it's interesting. And, 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 you know, I, and, and John, great question and phrased really well. And, um, you know, when I got out of Adventure Central, which was the slog, I just went back to doing small business, which is what I know. And I remember I had this really limiting story. I started this business that eventually sold to uh, a big online travel agent when I was in college, when I was at the University of Colorado. And, um, and, and, and I sold this business. I had no idea what it was worth. I sold it for, for low six figures, but it paid for my college and it gave me the money to start grad school. So that was a huge thing for me. 
And uh, I was living in Boulder at the time, and I decided to move out to San Francisco because you know, I didn't want to be a big fish in a small pond. I really wanted to, to try my hand in the big fish bowl and see how it would stack up. And really, that was driven from, from two things. One, other people's stories, and, uh, and, and two, from ego. And, you know, when I really got down to what I was, when I went back after this big slog and I went back into small business and what I knew really well and focused on the customers and creation of value and, 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 and all of a sudden everything went very easily again. And so understanding really where you're good and where you're not. So there's a point that it's going to go from strategic to operational. And for me, that's when I bow out. But that wasn't my biggest aha moment. My biggest aha moment came in 2012. I was, I was running a company. We did, uh, we did three and a half million our, our first week in business, uh, in October of 2010. We never did less than a million a month at that point. We were, you know, tracking to be one of the fastest growing companies. It was, it was amazing. I moved down to Austin from, from Aspen for it. And, and, uh, it was just pretty exceptional. And, uh, in late 2012, before I got married, I'd never been married. Uh, I'd never been married before. And, uh, I met a gal in consulting that worked for one of my clients and she was a director of marketing and, and she didn't know who I was or my values, but she, she gets in within an hour and a half of meeting me. She said, well, I read Atlas Shrugged in eight days and modeled my life after Dagny. And I said, really? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I knew at that point that, you know, we would end up together and, 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 and it worked out beautifully. And so I had this amazing love story that I was in my, my late thirties when I got married. And two weeks before that, I got diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And, uh, that was such a shocker, right? Here I was in the you know, in the wealth business and the health business, you know, the two most right. important businesses not taught in school. And I get diagnosed with this thing called hairy cell leukemia. And, uh, which was petrifying. I got diagnosed two weeks before my wedding. I was getting married in the Cook Islands. They told me I couldn't go. Uh, I went non-compliant to my wedding and actually got my diagnosis on my wedding day. And, uh, when I came back, you know, I went in, I went through 22 injections of chemo. And what I realized was, you know, the, the businesses were bigger. Everyone latched on to the scale site, you know, the scale piece that you, that you use kind of for an, an initial frame where he's grown six businesses from five to 50, which is, which is exciting. And, 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 but I realized that I might have more bedrooms in my house. I might have a different brand name on my car, but my life hadn't really changed. And I got caught in this trap that I now call the working wealthy. And I think this happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, right? And so when you get diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and uh, when you get diagnosed with that life-threatening illness and, and all of a sudden, you know, you think, well, you know, was it worth it? You know, did I do it right? Would I do it again? And if I passed away at that point, I think I would have had two lines on my tombstone. The first one would read, he worked. And the second line would read, a lot. And, uh, and, and, and so I realized I, I just kind of trapped myself. I didn't. You know, I continued to work 50, 60 hours a week. I, you know, because how could you work if you weren't doing your best? It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. And I look back to my experiences and, you know, I spent a lot of weeks down on Necker Island and time with Branson and, you know, a lot of the guys that people look up to in the entrepreneurial world, world. But the, you know, what really stood out for me was I wasn't creating the freedom in my own life that I wanted. And I knew at that point that my life was going to change. And the ironic part about it is, is, is when I started to draw those lines in, in, in my world, and I, I really got rid of everything that wasn't my stupid human trick, all those things that I became excellent at because I had to and I was the best one in, you know, in our small company. Uh, when I got rid of those, 
it really, really changed. And at that point, you know, I got out of that trap and I realized I'm going to make it count. And so I changed my scoreboard. And this was a big thing for me, John. I, I, my, 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 the first part of my life was really measured in, in goals, objectives, and achievements. And I changed that into, you know, measuring it really around, you know, people, energy, and synchronicity. You know, do I love the people I work with? Do I love, you know, am I really creating, you know, what I want? Am I making a difference? Am I doing the best that I can? And at that point, my life really changed. And I, it was funny. I was just speaking, uh, I was just speaking at an event. And, and of course, everyone always latches on to the, you know, leukemia part of it because it, it was a bit, it was evolutionary, not revolutionary. It wasn't necessarily I'm lost and now I'm found, but it was specifically how can I make small changes to really enjoy my life? How can I walk my kids to school or how can I make sure that, that, you know, I'm there for their sports games or really living the life I love. And, um, and you know, that's, that's really our motto, which is living the life you love. And, uh, and, and there's so many little changes that we can do because as entrepreneurs, we have a tendency to defer gratitude. And there's so many little tweaks that we can make that will allow you to really have the smiles along the way. But my biggest aha moment was, was I may be a successful entrepreneur, but I am still living the life that I was when I was an unsuccessful entrepreneur. I just, I just did more of it and I added a zero to the end of the account, which was exciting. But I really wanted to make sure that my business supported my life, not the contrary of my life supporting my business. So Robert, there are so many amazing takeaways here. And you know, one theme that I really love that's coming out of you, you know, is that you've kind of lived life now, you know, with these kind of really short but powerful sentences. You know, your first that you were really passionate about, you know, was come back, period, different, period. You know, that was something that was really important to you. You lived by that creed, but you also learned from that creed. You know, you also learned from, you know, what it meant to be working in a business that was really difficult. And then, right. you know, you moved forward and you even talked about, you know, what would have been on your gravestone, which of course is just a really powerful image for anybody to picture as a gravestone, kind of going back to like the Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, like that is your <laughs> gravestone. But, you know, you said he worked, period, a lot, period. And I mean, that's a very powerful you know, thought to have that that would be on a gravestone at that point in your life, especially when you're facing something like you were with leukemia. And, you know, then you were able to progress from that and evolve. And I love that evolutionary phrase to live in the life you love. And so Fire Nation, you know, that's what this interview has now evolved to is that Robert is, is really living this life that he loves. He's living in the life that he loves. And that's where he's evolved too. So Robert, I'm going to challenge you right now because, you know, we've been sharing a lot of great stuff and there's still some things I really want to make sure we get to. Sure. So in 60 seconds, share with us your proudest entrepreneurial moment. Well, Everybody expects it to be, uh, you know, this Branson Necker Island type type deal. And and the reality for me, I started a little bead shop when I was in high school, and I had a couple little bead shops when I graduated. And it was the point in my life when I went from thinking that I can to knowing that I can. And and that is such a huge inflection point for any young man. I was 18 years old, and and the highlight of it, my proudest entrepreneurial moment, was the first time I really believed in myself. And the way I knew it was when I graduated high school. I took my girlfriend and my business partner took his girlfriend and, and we took six more of our friends, so a group of 10 of us, down to Mexico because we were 18 years old and we couldn't drink legally in the States. <laughs> so we went on the cheapest Contiki tour, which was this little crappy tour, um, which was this little tour where we could all go you know, have a drink together and celebrate our graduation. 
And I remember, you know, I didn't have any bills. So I remember paying for my friends like that. And I really felt uh, for the first time in my life, like a success. And uh, that's probably my proudest entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's powerful. And, and let's just be fully transparent here, Robert. You can't drink legally in the U.S. except for the seven bars that surround Providence College. <laughs> <laughs> As we talked about before the interview. Yes, that's all true. Oh, I love it. So, Robert, what is the one thing right now, today, that just has you most fired up? The whole reason that I'm, I'm working these days is, is I want to help entrepreneurs uh, achieve more freedom in their lives. And, you know, when, when it comes down to you know, to my core values, it's, re- it's really s- simple. It's freedom, it's contribution, and it's value creation. And if it doesn't match those three, it's not a fit for me. And, you know, specifically, uh, I've partnered with, uh, I think, another one of your guests, Garrett Gunderson. Yes. And uh, so, when, and, and we have a company now called Wealth Factory. And a lot of entrepreneurs know how to work for their money. They don't know how to have their money work for them. And, you know, the world of finance and entrepreneurship really has very little in common. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, our biggest lever is the revenue of our business. And people in the finance space generally don't understand that. And so this is really that transition from, from, you know, how efficiently do you translate the money that you work for to having your money work for you, creating even more freedom in your life. And uh, nobody ever told me about any, any of those. I made about every mistake that you could. And, uh, uh, when it came to investing, I, I had a, some trials and tribulations along, along the way, and I learned from experience. And, and very frankly, the, the way an entrepreneur invests um, and has their money work for them is very different than everybody else. And that really excites me. Having entrepreneur, you know, having entrepreneurs have more freedom and being able to do things that they love, like what you're doing with Entrepreneur on Fire. Yeah, and you know what I really love too is that the you know what you can do with money like once you have it. You know, we were talking about, you know, how once you have the actual funds to invest into something, you can look at that investment in a lot of different ways. And you know, how some people look at that investment is not even necessarily what that rate of return is going to be right away, but what access is that going to give? you know, for you to potentially that CEO of that company, like, you know, getting early in on LinkedIn, like, do you now have access to potentially Reed Hoffman or, you know, getting access early to Box, you know, are you going to be able to talk, you know, with the CEO there, Aaron Levy, and like really get into that kind of stuff. And I mean, with Wealth Factory, Robert, like, you know, what is, you know, some of the big premises that you take entrepreneurs through that are at that point that they really might want to start having these kind of conversations? Well, it's kind of a five-step framework. In fact, I was just talking to uh, some friends, and, and we had an article in Forbes last week, um, which is about how to scale your business from six figures to seven figures. Um, so it's slightly different, um, but we, we, we hit on it. So really, the, the five-part framework for, for an entrepreneur for financial freedom is is one you know, how do you recover cash flow that you're leaking in your business immediately? You know, the average, the average client that has less than a half million dollar business recovers $2,400 a month every month. For a million dollar business, it's about $4,300. Um, so that's significant, you know, and that drops right to the bottom line, as you know. Two is how do you strategically engineer wealth? You know, as we learned from Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know where you're going, any road will do, <laughs> right? And yeah. so if you don't have a financial plan, this was such, this was such a huge takeaway for me. If you don't have a financial plan, somebody's going to sell you theirs. So how do you strategically engineer wealth in a tax advantage way? You have some of the best tax advantages available to you because you own your business. But, you know, it's coming up with that plan so that every time, you know, whatever your block is, 10 grand, 50 grand comes in, you know exactly what you're going to do with it. Uh, step three, uh, how do you accelerate your investment income? You know, we know how our, our business income accelerates, right? That's, of course, 
through your business. But how do you accelerate your investment income, which I hate the term passive income, not just because it's been abused by shysters, but, but you know, it just, it, it gives you this impression like mailbox money, which it's not that. Your investment should, should tap into your skills. So how do you accelerate your investment income, get that going? Four, how do you scale your business revenue? That's your single biggest lever to be able to generate cash as an entrepreneur. And finally, the fifth, and this is one that's near and dear to, I know to both of our hearts, is how do you make it count? How are you living the life that you love? And how are you you're really in, using you know, your success to be able to influence the things that matter most to you in your life? And so really, those, those five steps in order uh, have been huge for us and have helped people you know, really make a huge difference in their lives. Yeah, and actually the guest that we're bringing on tomorrow, the reason why I'm bringing him back onto the show is because he just has this phrase that he uses that I think is so perfect for where you just ended, which is how do you go from success to significance? Like where's that bridge? You know, like, okay, it's great. Yes, you're successful. Yes, the money's coming in or yes, you know, whatever it might be. But now what are you doing with your life to bring it to significance? That's a huge piece, John. I mean, success to significance is really kind of like halftime. You know, it, it's when you hit that spot in, you know, the, the, generally the team that wins the game is the one that make the best adjustments at halftime. And, 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 you know, success might be the first part of your life, but, but really, you know, when you, when you look at, at, at significance, it's making those changes, you know, to allow the second part of your life really to serve you. And, and many entrepreneurs get there. It's a, fra- it's a frame that I call, so what, now what? You know, you get to that point, like, hey, I just sold my business. And, and you know, I've been active in EO and YPO and Tiger 21 for an awful long time. It used to be YEO, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, but, but I hear so many entrepreneurs say, it was the year after I sold my business, and it was the worst year of my life because they were lost. And, and, and if you don't figure out how you make that transition from success to significance, if you don't figure it out now, it's going to happen to you when you least expect it. <laughs> So powerful. Fire Nation, I know that this is an interview you can go back and listen to multiple times because there's just just been all these value bombs being dropped throughout. And, uh, you know, of course, um, Robert is going to be on our show notes page. We're going to be having everything listed out, everything written, and all links to him and the such. But, Robert, we are about to enter the lightning round. But before we even do that, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors. Sleep. It's one of the first things that we're willing to give up, yet the most integral thing when it comes to helping our bodies function at full capacity. You do want to function at full capacity, right? Well, I speak from personal experience when I say that having a mattress with just the right sink and just the right bounce to cuddle up on each night helps. Introducing Casper. I just received my Casper mattress and I love it. Casper offers an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Perfect for us entrepreneurs who are looking for better nights and brighter days. Casper even offers a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days. And if you don't like it, send it back free of charge. If you're ready for better, nice, and brighter days, visit casper.com slash fire and use promo code fire to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. That's casper.com slash fire, promo code fire. Need a quality design but worried about the cost? One of the easiest ways for your design budget to spiral out of control is to start your project without a clear direction. This leads to you and your designer continuously spinning your wheels, frustrated but hoping eventually you'll land on a design that you like. 99designs has helped thousands of businesses around the world get designs that communicate their unique brands. It doesn't matter if you're running a contest with several designers or collaborating with just one. Crafting a thoughtful brief is always the first 
first step to getting a great design. And at 99designs, it's super simple. All you need to do is fill in their online brief form. So what is it that you need? Boost your brand's visibility with a t-shirt or drive more traffic with a sleek new banner ad or landing page. Project Start at just $199 and your happiness is always 100% guaranteed. Visit 99designs.com slash fire and get a $99 power pack of services for free. 99designs.com slash fire. Robert, welcome to the lightning round where you get to share incredible resources and mind-blowing answers. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a great plan, John. Let's do it. <laughs> was I'm holding, I'm sitting down. <laughs> what was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, to answer that really literally, it's like middle school. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, in general, I, you know, it's one of those things I, I was, you know, we all, have a, we all have some sort of a belief and we want to do something. And, and for me, I, I knew I was unemployable from a really early age. And so it just came down to that leap of faith, right? And, and so this, from an entrepreneur, I think is the most important thing. You know, the rest of the world says, well, I have to see it to believe it. And as an entrepreneur, what we do is we believe to see. Mm-hmm. And that order is so important. And if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur and, and for whatever reason you haven't done it, if you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect somebody else to? So it really starts with self-belief. What is the best advice you've ever received? Well, this is an interesting one. This was at one of the venture-backed companies. My chairman of the board was, you know, kind of this, this classic, you know, he went to MIT and Harvard Business School and, you know, had this A-tier thing and a member of the Royal and Ancients in Scotland. And, and I've never heard him swear in his life. And, and long story short, I was trying to figure out how to work with this guy that I just didn't really trust. And, uh, and, and he was running these trade shows and we were the speaker and, and he looks at me. And he said, Robert, life is too short to work with blank holes. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes whenever I sit there and I'm trying to figure out how to work with somebody, it's just because it's not supposed to happen. And so whenever I get that feeling, I just walk away. Share one of your personal habits, Robert, that you believe contributes to your success. Sure. I, I mean, this one is, uh, you know, it, it's not terribly original, brother. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, you know, I wake up with the sun and I generally go to bed with the sun. I'll, you know, I, I try and get in bed by... 10 or 11, and, and uh, I try and wake up at the sun every day. And so this morning I was up at six o'clock and I had two hours of clear focus time that I can focus on everything that's really important. Meaning the more successful you become, the more people come to you and all of a sudden your job becomes management as opposed to working, if that makes sense. And this gives you time to work. It's two hours between six and eight. I guarantee you, your phone doesn't ring. You know, all the things that are, that are nagging at you in your life. None of those are there. So for me, it's just getting up early with the sun and getting two hours in before the phone starts to ring. And, and that allows me to be more, that's just, that's my key to productivity. Do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, a huge one. And, I, and I'm sure it's been brought up with you guys before. Um, but are you familiar with OmniFocus? Yes. So OmniFocus to me is like amazing because I have such a diffuse like ADD, ADHD, entrepreneurial <laughs> profile. Too. Like Quick Start, of course, right? As many of our listeners, right? Our Quick Start is through the moon and, and OmniFocus is really good and it, it combines two concepts that are really core. One, there was a book called Getting Things Done, you know, GTD, David Allen, passed away recently, uh, was written in 92. That was amazing for me to figure out how to get my horsepower in my mind to the ground um, and then it combines, you know, and, and you can really use it for radial thinking or mind mapping. And so OmniFocus for me hits me right in those crosshairs, and I don't know what I'd do without it. If you could recommend just one book for our listeners, Robert, what would it be and why? 
you know, to me, the entrepreneurial Bible, which was fiction written, you know, 50 years ago was Atlas Shrugged. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of things that a lot of people take out of it. And, you know, objectivism certainly has its black and white elements to it, which isn't necessarily what I, what I propose. But, but I, I remember, you know, one of the main characters in there, Hank Reardon, you know, he, he perfected his recipe for steel for 10 years before he released it to the market. And what he took was a ton of pride and craft. If he was going to do it, he was going to make sure it was the absolute best that it could be for him. And, and, and for me, if I'm going to do something, I don't know how to do it you know, halfway. I only do it full on. And so you know, Atlas to me was, it was a book that changed my life. And, and, and instead of, it was like the JFK quote, right? And instead of thinking, well, what, what can the world do for me? All of a sudden I said, what do I have to contribute? And uh, you know, that personal responsibility was huge. Well, Fire Nation, I know that you love audio, so if you haven't already, you can get an amazing audiobook like this one for free at eofirebook.com. That's eofirebook.com. And Robert, this next question's the last of the lightning round, but it's a doozy. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have. Your food and shelter taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days? John, I love this question. And I, I you know, and I actually put a little work into this, you know, thinking oh. about it. And, and so for me, it would be to create and launch an entrepreneurial product. That to me is my, you know, is what I know how to do. So I can create videos, I can write content, I can, you know, and I know I can help entrepreneurs. Those are the people that I, you know, it's the only people in the world that you know, that are normal to me and I'm normal to them. And so what I would do is I would buy an iPhone, a small tripod. I would, I would get a cheap membership site like Kajabi and then a, you know, like a shopping cart, like one shopping cart or ultra cart. And I would have $22 left over. And uh, I would create a series of videos to be able to, you know, to help entrepreneurs, um, you know, either from the beginning to the end of the life cycle. Um, but uh, again, we're in an information age and we have technology where we can share it. This used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now you can do it for literally 500 bucks. I don't think there's an excuse left for not having your own business. And that $22 left over, Robert, I mean, your food and shelter is taken care of, so you're still living large. Living large and hopefully having a drink with you, John. <laughs> I love it. So, Robert, let's end today literally on fire with you sharing just one parting piece of guidance, the best way we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, the best way you can reach with me, you can send me an email at robert at roberthirsch.com. One thing I also wanted to do for the Entrepreneur on Fire listeners, if you go to wealthfactory.com slash scorecard, uh, we've created a 10 questions investor scorecard that will allow any entrepreneur to evaluate an investment and make sure it's the right, uh, make sure it's the right investment for them. You know, this was done by myself and one of your other guests, Garrett. We combined our collective wisdom and, and this is really the scorecard that I wish I had when I, when I started to look at how my money was working for me. So again, that's wealthfactory.com forward slash scorecard. Love it. And what's that parting piece of guidance? Winston Churchill, uh, he was given a commencement speech at a very small Midwestern college. And they said, do you have any piece of advice? And this is what he left everybody with. And he said, never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And that's what's driven me. 
Ah, well, Fire Nation, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, and you have been hanging out with Robert and myself today, so keep up the heat and head over to eofire.com. Just type Robert in the search bar. His show notes page will pop right up with all this great content he's been sharing, the resource, the book, you name it. And don't forget, Robert has very generously offered his email, robert at roberthirsch.com. That's H-I-R-S-C-H. And again, that'll be on the show notes page. And of course, wealthfactory.com slash scorecard. And Fire Nation, take advantage of that scorecard. And Robert, thank you, my friend, for sharing your journey with Fire Nation today. And for that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate it. Freepodcastcourse.com. Fire Nation, this is for you. A free 15-day podcast course where I share the exact steps of how to create your podcast, launch with the best strategy possible, grow your podcast audience to the tipping point, and then monetize that audience in a powerful way. Visit freepodcastcourse.com and start your podcasting journey today. Thank you so much for joining us today on Entrepreneur on Fire. Head on over to eofire.com for full recaps of every show, our amazing blog articles and resources, and just plain fun. Your entrepreneurial journey awaits, so prepare to ignite. 